it just so happens that we have what I would consider one of the world's foremost experts on the very topic uh, that Philippians brings up next, coming here to scum of the earth on a regular basis. None other than the esteemed, distinguished professor of New Testament at Denver Seminary and also all-around fun guy, Craig Blomberg. So if you would please uh, give Craig your attention, that'd be great. If you keep talking like that, Mike, they're not going to believe you when you're serious. <laughs> Good to see everybody here. So what do you think of when somebody brings up, somebody who's a Christian leader or speaker brings up the topic of asking for money? I wonder if it's like the video clip that hopefully we're going to watch. That's why I said, hopefully. Fellowship Community Church. We are a biblically-based church driven by the powerful teaching ministry of senior pastor Bruce Carlisle. Valley Fellowship offers anointed worship, men's discipleship training, children's ministries, women's ministries, radical youth ministries, missions and outreach, and plenty of free parking. Welcome back to the RPM Praise-a-thon. I'm Pastor Bruce Carlisle. I'm certain that you've seen my show that has aired on RPM Lessons in Christianity. I firmly support RPM. They're touching people around the world for Jesus. But they can't do it without your help. 
Won't you become a partner with RPM to do the work of God around the world? God spoke to me when I was driving to the studio today. And I saw an open heaven and I heard these words. Open heaven in 2007. And this open heaven is for you. Just lay your offering of 70, 700, or 7,000 on the altar and God will open the heavens for you and prosper you like you had never been prospered before. Just give your gift of seven to God and you'll have an open heaven. Won't you call right now? Uh, thanks for calling RPM. How much would you like to give? I was just calling because I wanted to know how come it didn't work. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry? Oh, the anointing, oh, the anointing. Go to the phones, go to the phones, go to the phones, go to the phones. Oh, go to the phones, go to the phones, go to the phones right now. Let's take a call right now. Take a call live right now. Hi, who's this? Mikey. Hi, Mikey. What would you like to give today? Well, I want to get my money back from the time before because nothing the man on TV said came to pass. Uh, well, Mikey, uh, I think that's because God's want, wanting to do something even bigger in your life. He is? That's good. Because I remember the time that... Mikey, what's your favorite RPM show? My favorite show? Yes, what's your favorite show, Mikey? My favorite show? Yes, Mikey, your favorite show. Well, I like the one where all the people are trapped on an island because their plane crashes on it. That uh, airs on a different channel, Mikey. Oh, can I give to that one? It's interesting if you uh, do a YouTube search for things like preachers asking for money, what you come up with. I had about half a dozen to pick from, but that was the funniest one, I thought. So what do we do when we come to a passage in the Bible about money matters? A recent poll nationwide of pastors of all different kinds of churches said that the one topic they dreaded talking about the most to their congregations was about giving because of all the ways people have abused that topic. You can probably flip at least if you have cable or satellite TV or go online and just about any time of the day or night in probably every time zone of the world and find somebody on some channel preaching some form of what is called the prosperity gospel of which you heard just a little glimpse if you give <laughs> 70, 700, 7,000, or maybe you've heard it, if you give $1 to this church, God will give you 100 back. 
And a lot of times it doesn't work. If, if you didn't catch the guy on the couch, the very first comment, I, I just thought it was great. He goes, I want my money back because it didn't work. I have yet to hear of any church or Christian organization that advertises that way, putting their own advice into practice and giving money to some other good Christian organization so they can multiply it by a hundred times. But boy, they sure want us to do it. So what do we do? And we come to a passage like Philippians chapter 4. Last week, Mike led us through verses 10 through 13. Did a marvelous job talking about contentment. And really, verses 10 through 20 all hang together. So I want to go back and read the first part of the passage again before we move ahead. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Paul, you may recall, near the end of his life in house arrest in Rome in the early 60s of the first century, writing back to a church he had helped to found about 15 years earlier. And he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That is Christ. And Mike quoted, if you were with us last week, a, a marvelous passage out of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis that talked about the, the longings we have in life and how it doesn't seem like uh, we are ever given a deep desire or longing without the opportunity for it to be fulfilled. It's true of bodily appetites like hunger and thirst and sexual desire. There are mechanisms in the world, food, drink, sexual partners, right situations, and ways to abuse all of those things. But then Lewis went on and talked about that longing for the hanging out that Adam was hyping the being with people that you really care deeply about. And I know exactly what he was saying. You have the best time in the world with some of your best friends, and it's over all too soon. And there's that longing that we just want it to last. Would we be wired with that longing? Does the theory of evolution have any explanation for it? If it were to forever be unfulfilled, or is that part of what Ecclesiastes means when 
it says God has set eternity in our hearts. And one day we won't have to constantly be saying goodbye to our friends who are moving to another town. Because we'll be able to be with them forever in Christ. It's a marvelous picture, but the story doesn't end with verse 13. And so today we come to verses 14 to 20. Paul continues speaking to the Philippians. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, the northern part of ancient Greece where Philippi was located, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Mike always comes up with much better titles than I can think of for his messages. But I tried. And so tonight's is... How wild is your wallet? Girl came up after morning church and showed me hers, and it had a scum sticker filling up the one side completely, and the other side had some real bright colored flowers, and I said, now that's wild. This is just sort of pretty plain brown. But hopefully that question will mean more than just what your wallet looks like on the outside by the end of tonight. I think Paul's doing three things in this passage. The first one is in verses 14 to 16, where he says, thank you, without ever using those words. One commentator called it Paul's thankless thank you. And I bet with a little bit of luck, that too will appear on the screen sometime. Soon. Thank you for that. What's going on here? Paul begins most of his letters with profuse thanks to God for the people he's writing to. He intersperses throughout his letters thanks to congregations for the ways they have grown and, and supported him. And if you've read a chunk of Paul in a short period of time, Philippians 4 stands out as missing something. The most Paul can bring him to say is, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Oh, yes, pip-pip and all that rot. Sounds like the proper British gentleman, but that's a bit of an anachronism. It was good of you. Well, okay, he's appreciative, but he doesn't sound effusive. It was good of you to share in my troubles. How did they share in his troubles? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 
tells us that when Paul was taking up the offering for the impoverished believers in Jerusalem, Macedonia, the Philippian church, and the other ones nearby gave far more than anybody expected. And the reason nobody expected them to give much was that they were the most impoverished in Greece. And yet they gave far more generously than the rich Corinthians down in the south of Greece. Same thing's still true today. Rich Christians are not the most generous givers percentage-wise of their income. Neither are the upper middle class. The lower middle class, the blue-collar workers, are the most generous and have been consistently as long as people have been tracking such stuff. Maybe they've learned what some of the rest of us haven't, that you never are going to accumulate the nest egg that will safeguard you against every possible catastrophe. So it's okay to stop trying. Why doesn't Paul come out and say something more blatantly? Well, I think it has to do with the practice in the ancient Roman Empire of rich people becoming patrons or benefactors for the poor people around them in a very tit-for-tat relationship. The rich people would provide basics of life, jobs when they were available, minimum wage, in return for which the people helped had to follow their patron around in public, vote for him or her for office, shower accolades, uh, be the equivalent of uh, forming a parade with banners and cheers so that they could get more honor in public than their rival rich friends. <laughs> kind of an odd system by modern standards, but it worked. I help you, and in return, you do all kinds of favors for me. Paul doesn't want to be a part of that. He doesn't want to come across as having needed the gift. If you noticed, as we read, he, it's, it's like he's schizophrenic. He can't decide whether he wants to be appreciative or not. Not that I desire your gifts. I've received full payment. I have more than enough. I'm amply supplied. But of course he appreciated him. There was no public fund out of which Romans cared for people in jail like we do today. Even just in-house arrest. Unless you had friends from the outside bringing you food, you didn't eat. And eventually you starved to death. You were welcome to receive visitors. You just couldn't leave the property. So Paul is very appreciative, but he doesn't want to phrase things in his cultural setting in a way that would suggest he owes the Philippians something in return. How, after all, could he pay them anything when he was in house arrest, unable to make any money? The best he can come to say is, it was good of you. But we live in a different culture. So I think we can be more blunt. If you give generously to scum, thank you. 
If you give generously to any Christian church or organization or cause, thank you very much. I don't know uh, how much each of you knows about scum and our money matters. If you've visited any number of times at all, uh, you can probably say from memory what uh, a parade of people coming to this microphone usually say at the end of the service. I've never actually tried it before, but it goes something like this. Now you'll see these buckets up at the front of the stage, two there and one back at the scoop. And they say KFC, which somebody years ago thought should stand for cash for Christ. And um, we don't uh, take an offering here. It's scum. We receive one. You didn't pay to get in, so you don't have to pay to get out. How am I doing, Mike? Did I forget anything? Mike's gone. Perfect. And you say, all that sounds kind of silly, but it's actually serious thought behind it. It's one way to avoid sounding like the RPM guy. It's one way to avoid sounding like all Christian leaders ever want is your money. And especially if you're visiting, especially if you're just checking us out. We don't want to come across that way. But for those who give, we do want to say thank you. Even if Paul says it a bit more guardedly. But then he surprises us in a second way. In verse 17. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Interesting. Of course he desires their gifts. He wouldn't eat without them. (laughs) But very dramatically, he is saying, that's not my main concern. My main concern is that, No, there's nothing here about them getting a hundred times back financial blessing for their generosity. He says, in essence, it's a mark of your maturity. It shows that you're growing in the Lord. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. It's a financial metaphor for a financial issue. But he's thinking spiritually. Those spiritual treasures that hopefully we're building up in heaven. It's interesting. In a world where it seems like an unprecedented number of people make professions of faith, at least in this country, it's not the same way in all parts of the world. And then a few years down the road, kind of chuck it all. And you wonder, was that just a phase? How serious had they been? What's going on here? And there's all kinds of reasons that that people do that. But if you start giving money consistently and generously 
to the Lord's work. May not be foolproof, but it's a pretty good sign that something has truly changed and been transformed in your life. Because that's not natural. <laughs> that's not automatic. To just give money away that you could spend on yourself. There was a pastor here in Denver a number of years ago who's been in Southern California for a number of years now, Mark Brewer. And he liked to say the two best ways you can tell if a, a Christian is growing in the Lord is by their zipper and their wallet. Are they following biblical sexual ethics? And are they giving generously? I used to have a wallet with a zipper on it. I could <laughs> kill two birds with one stone. Zacchaeus, that wee little man in Sunday school, if you ever went to Sunday school, you learned he was short and he climbed the sycamore tree, probably the two most insignificant things in the whole story. Actually, if you read Luke 19, it's about a guy who Jesus singles out and says, I must stay at your house tonight, which with a troop of 12 disciples meant Mrs. Zacchaeus had a, a quick cell phone call for a big feast to plan in a world without cell phones. And in the middle of the banquet, Zacchaeus stands up and says, Look, Lord, today I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone, I'll restore them fourfold. Now, that's voluntary generosity. And if you're used to reading stories in Luke's gospel, you say, Wait a minute, there's something missing here too. Luke, more than any one of the gospels, is the gospel that says, Jesus called on people to repent. And when he encountered them, they repented. And here, there's not a word of Zacchaeus repenting. There's just a word of him opening up his wallet. I think it's a pretty fair conclusion that it means he had repented. <laughs> that could be taken for granted. What can't always be taken for granted is generous giving. A mark of Christian maturity. So how can we do it? Third part of the passage and we come full circle to where we started last week. It's about contentment. It's about coping. I've received full payment and more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. We don't know how much that was. It was obviously generous for the Macedonians, but given their poverty, the net value can't have been too terribly high. Somebody once said, it's the thought that counts. Well, <laughs> not if you're starving. <laughs> then, then you do need some physical sustenance, but you don't necessarily need a lot to get over the hump. And once again, what, what is so bizarre about this passage 
is that Paul deflects attention from himself to God and back to the Philippians. I'm amply supplied. So don't feel like you have to keep sending me more gifts. That would have really been a cultural signal that Paul owed them something. They are a fragrant offering. Language out of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. They smell as good as the best barbecue. An acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Wow. When was the last time you did something nice for somebody and they said, God really likes that. (laughs) I don't think to talk that way. (laughs) I say, I like it. (laughs) And I do say, thank you. Paul says, God's really happy because of how you've behaved. And he goes on, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Oh, finally it snuck in through the back door. There's that perplexing promise. Meet all your needs. Well, just like last week when Mike said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me means read it in context. I know how to be in plenty. I know how to be in want. You've got to read this in context, too. He's already been talking about finances. When he talks about all your needs, now he's expanding to consider spiritual needs as well. Fran ended last week in the benediction by quoting the old Wesleyan greeting. How... Goes it? How is it with your soul? And uh, Adam was listening because he quoted that on email this week. That was fun. If we were more concerned about each other's souls than about our physical, this life, material needs and well-being. That's what Paul's doing here. God's already been taking care of the Philippians so that they can be generous even in the midst of their poverty. And now he's saying he'll meet all your other needs as well. And and the more important ones, your spiritual needs. Needs to be content. Needs to cope. Because why do people break off one relationship? Especially after solemnly promising to remain faithful until death do them part. They don't think they can cope anymore. Or they're simply not content. Paul says... God has the inexhaustible set of resources 
that makes it never legitimate to say you've gotten to the end of your rope. There's always another possibility. What is it that makes people not become wild with their wallet? In my past, before I repented, when I went to a large suburban church, taught a large adult Sunday school class, I once started a uh, class by saying, suppose someone handed you a million dollars free and clear, tax-free, legitimate, wasn't... Uh, drug money, you could do anything you wanted with it. In increments of $100,000, what would you do with it? And a few godly friends said, well, I'd tithe. I'd give 100000 to the church. Really? Is that all? You have $900,000 of acute need that this has to meet, even though you didn't know you were going to get it until today. Some weren't even sure the, that they'd give 100000 After all, the tithe isn't a New Testament concept. And that's true, it isn't. Problem for some people with giving 10% is it's too little, not that it's too much. <laughs> And for some people, it might be a very genuine and irresponsible hardship. Probably fewer than actually think it would be. Paul says, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever." And ever. He even throws an amen in. Sounds like a modern preacher. So how wild is your wallet? How much do you know about uh, what scum does with the money that comes after the mantra that I recited earlier? Oh, I did forget part of the mantra. There's usually something about, and we will try to be as responsible as we can with your money. And you know what? They are. I say they because I don't have anything to do with the budget. In a good month, we might take in about $7,000 or so. If you do the math, that uh, that could pay for one pastor's salary, and uh, it might keep the lights on and the other maintenance needs, but not much more. But since day one, not a single pastor at SCUM has ever taken a salary. They've raised their own support. That's why we can have so many pastors. <laughs> It's also why so many are part-time. 
they uh, are thankful for every generous gift that you give. And quite frankly, I can say this because I'm asking for myself, they need more. Some of them are underfunded. Some of them could be working more hours if they were funded more. And Mike would never tell you this, which is a good reason he passed the mic to me. But there have been countless times when he has given out of his own support to help somebody else who is underfunded or to help somebody else in the congregation or to help somebody he just met on the street. If you call scum your home, I hope you give generously. I hope you give regularly. I hope you consider signing up to be on the support team for one or more of our staff. I hope you buy 10 bottles of salsa for every one you actually consume and give the rest away or, or whatever, or resell them on eBay. <laughs> Is that legal? I don't know. We still have, I think, at least 120000 maybe more to raise to pay off the stuff the city made us do to get back in our building. And we've got a deadline coming up sometime in 2013. We need lots of little gifts and a few of you with rich uncles who can uh, play the violin well in their presence <laughs> and tug at their heartstrings. It's hard to talk about stuff like this without somebody wondering, sometimes even asking. So, Blomberg, you trying to lay a guilt trip on us? I don't know what that was. Maybe it was Woodstock. No, I'm not. Although I, I would mention that there are guilt trips in the Bible when somebody really is guilty, it's called repenting. It's, it's false guilt trips that you're not supposed to lay on people. But no, that's not what I'm trying to do. I, I love to give. I would much rather find out about what is happening through our ministry here or through missionaries we support overseas or for other folks in between as people come to Christ, as they grow in Christ, as they get jazzed about the gospel, than to go out and buy a giant home in Highlands Ranch or drive the car that seems to be at least half the world's goal in order to look cool and impress their peers or all the other things people spend so much money on, the latest high-tech digitalia or whatever. Is that a word? <laughs> eh, it should be. Hmm, sounds a little racy. So how wild is your wallet? I am going to... Uh, demonstrate a wild wallet, but I need some help. Raylene, I need you to pick a number between 1 and 20. 
18. And Laurie, another one, 14. And Mike, another one, 18, 14, and 12. Okay, how long a leash do I have here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Would you come up front for a minute? And you were uh, fourteen. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen in the black jacket, looking at his girl next. No, <laughs> come on up. And. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Okay, I'll come down to you. Twelve. I know who you are, but who are you? Ashley. And? Jeremiah. And the mic won't make it. Deanna. Ashley, Jeremiah, and Deanna. You are the winners of $100 each. But you can go sit back down. Merge into the woodwork. It would be my ideal world if you three gave that money or a significant part of it to SCUM's building program. But I'm not going to watch you. I'm not going to check up on you. Maybe the person next to you will. I can't speak for that. But um, Maybe you have a genuinely serious need for which any or all of this can be a help or somebody close to you who has a serious need for which this can be a help. Then uh, just as God gives us all our stuff on loan and the freedom to use it or abuse it or anything in between, you have that freedom as well. And maybe the best use of that is not giving it back to scum, but uh, I'd still like you to give it. I was uh, traveling a lot, as some of you know, in the last six months, and the recipient of ridiculously generous honorariums at a whole bunch of places that I have not yet given the percentage I want to give on, and this is some of it. In fact, it came directly from Korean won, which is 1,000 to 1, the exchange rate. So the largest bill they have is 50,000 won, and it's only $50. But uh, they gave me enough so that when I exchanged it at the airport, I... Got a bunch of $100 bills. What about everybody sitting here wishing you'd gotten $100? <laughs> no problem. You can still be generous. 
Is your wallet wild enough? You say, oh, this is a trick. That's not being wild. Being wild is going out and spending it on booze and hookers and drugs and all that. And, you know, not anymore. I don't think so. That's been done for so long that uh, what's wild and countercultural in our world now is uh, to give to Christian things. Thank you, Lori. <laughs> and, and her outfit's another one. So um, that's all I have except to, to invite us to pray together. Father, help us to truly be able to say, as Paul did so many years ago, that I know how to have plenty. I know how to have little. I know how to be content in all circumstances. Lord, some of us here today are content with our finances, but we're not content with our marriages. Help us to be content. <clears throat> or we're not content that we're single. Help us to be content. Or we're not content with our job, not because of the money, but because of other circumstances. Help us to be content. Doesn't mean we don't try to change the situation for the better if we can. When that doesn't work, you have the inexhaustible resources to give us the ability to cope. Where it does involve money, where we are clinging so tightly to everything we have because we are just fearful about the future. Or where we're spending an awful lot, but on stuff that has no kingdom value. Help us to develop your priorities for how we manage our stuff. Help our wallets to become wild. In Jesus' name, amen.